Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to Dangerous Thoughts on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm back. Sorry I missed last week. I think many of you know why. Uh, don't forget, the subscribe button here on Unsafe Space is mandatory. In fact, if you haven't gotten your second jab of the subscribe button, you should go do that now. Um, you can watch us at unsafespace.com, not just on YouTube, so we're always streaming there live, so go check that out. Also, we should be on Utreon and Odyssey, uh, so if you want to go check out those new platforms, you can do that. Uh, thanks again to everyone who is already subscribed. And a special thanks to all the paid subscribers who support our show. We couldn't do this without you guys. So I appreciate that. You can always go to unsafespace.com to buy merch or be a paid subscriber or whatever else. Just I guess just contact us and say you hate us if you want. You can do whatever you want there. Um, also, I would like to thank everyone for uh, the kind words and congratulations and all that stuff from the community. I really do appreciate it. Tonight, um, we're gonna do a, a little different show format than normally. I normally do solo, but uh, I did want less prep, but I wanted to do this anyway. It just happens to be less prep, so it works. Uh, I'm killing two birds with one stone. So normally when I do these solo Dangerous Thoughts episodes, uh, I go through, I have a definition every week. We put it into the concept hierarchy. We talk about something being, it's, it's in this category and it's differentiated by blankety blank. And we do that. And then we dive into a particular uh, subject related to practical philosophy, uh, by which I mean philosophy for actually living on earth, not getting high with your philosophy professors. Um, but from time to time, I would like to have guests on to help me explore topics. And uh, that's what we're gonna do tonight. So tonight's guest, before I bring her on, let me just tell you about her. She's Nikki Klein. Um, we've had her on before. Uh, originally, I think we had her on a deprogrammed episode to talk about her involvement in Nixium, but she's best known for her role as Callie on the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, which was good. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, but more importantly, I've come to know, know her over the past few months as a really solid thinker. Um, and frankly, she's become a friend. Uh, this is not an interview. I'm not, this is not me interviewing Nikki. If you want an interview, go watch the deprogrammed episode with her. Um, this is a discussion that we're going to have about topics that we explore on this show, critical thinking, uh, emotional influence of things, principles, values. Uh, so I invite you guys to be a part of it. If you want to participate in chat, feel free. Uh, so without further ado, where, let me see if I can add Nikki. Here we go. There she is. Hi. Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hi, and, and hello, everyone watching. Uh, I'm just I'm super happy to be here and looking forward to this conversation. We always have plenty to talk about, so. We do. Uh, I think we had a, I think we have had a preview of part of this conversation, which lasted a couple hours, so. Um, yeah, I think, I think you're like, you want to just hop on a call for a few minutes and two hours later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I, here's how I want to kick off the discussion. I want to remind people in the third episode I made of Dangerous Thoughts, um, I talked about how emotions affect judgment and decision making. Um, I cited some research by Dr. Jennifer uh, Lerner from Harvard, which was uh, she did a metadata, a meta study on um, bias emotions, appraisal tendency framework, anchoring. Um, and so I kind of want to start, this is kind of where I want to start with you. Some things I've noticed about our, both our public, but also our private discussions 
you are reasonable, thoughtful, intelligent, rational. It doesn't mean I don't think you ever make any errors or that we agree on everything, but like you come across as someone who's seeking the truth, using reason as your guide. You've got some demonstrated demonstrated perseverance in the face of some opposition. But yet when I see you in public often, something I've noticed in, in many public discussions is that a lot of people have a very, very hard time hearing you or approaching conversation with you in any sort of unbiased way. Um, you, I feel like you could say two plus two is four and people would respond like, look at her, she's just brainwashed. And I actually looked at some <laughs> of the, the YouTube comments about you. They, it was, I could hear in her voice that she was brainwashed, right? right. Um, <laughs> this lady is exactly the kind of person a cult leader looks for. Um, so we all have a tendency maybe to bias uh, our interaction with people based on an emotional uh, response or some anchor that we, we first hear about someone. So I want to start with a simple question for you. How mm -hmm. has your ability to effectively communicate with people changed before and after the Nixium drama? Have you noticed the difference? Um, how has it changed? Has um, it? Maybe it hasn't. Maybe no one ever. Maybe people always thought you were in a cult. Huh? No. Oh, my ability. Inter right, right, right. Yeah, like well, your ability well, no, to, I was thinking yeah. more of like my my level of of skill. Um, oh, maybe it was poorly worded. No, I mean, the, the how was people's reception of right, you? Right, yes. no, 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 that makes sense. And and hopefully I've. I've improved as I as I hope that I always do. And it's certainly gotten more difficult. And I I have no media training. I, I've never had a publicist. So when it comes to telling my story or addressing these um, pretty egregious misunderstandings or perceptions that are in the media, you know, I, I'm just honest, like I answer genuinely, but it that's not always the best way to do things. Like there's a reason why people get media training. There's a reason sure. why, you know, you, you practice and, and um, kind of develop a, a script, if you will. And I, I haven't done that um, mostly because I just haven't chosen to prioritize that. And I, and I prefer forums where I'm able to have more of a conversation and hopefully allow people to get, to know me better. Um, it's a very strange and surreal experience, honestly. And, and I don't know that I'll ever get used to people thinking things about me that are not only untrue, but antithetical to the person that I am. And I don't know, I think the best circumstance is when I get to know someone first and then maybe they find out like they link, they put things together and they're like, oh, wait, yeah, you're involved in that. And then they're just confused. And then they have right. to think like they're forced into a situation where they have to try to reconcile, um, you know, buying into this narrative and then the person that I am. And some people are open to that. Other people don't want to deal with it. But when people come to me already knowing me from that story. And if anyone's watching who doesn't know what I'm talking about, um, I was involved with an organization called Nexium, which the media called a sex cult. People have been charged with crimes and gone to prison. And it was a very salacious story in the media that um, was very much taken out of context and spun a certain way. And my story is very different. So that, and again, that's not what I'm here to talk about, but it, it's 
it's just kind of surreal. It's like people are interacting with um, a character that happens to have my likeness. And I'm kind of um, forced to experience the consequences of the character they've imagined. Uh, and sometimes I'm able to break through that and sometimes I'm not. But, you know. Is it similar at all to like when you go to like a sci-fi convention and people talk to you as if you're Callie? Is, is it, um, is it's, it similar? It has similarities, but most people are very excited to talk to Callie. <laughs> Not I necessarily see. a they sex like cult Callie. member. They like <laughs> Callie. See. And, you know, that, that was really the most devastating thing for me is that in the past, when people would recognize me, it would make their day. Like they would just be so excited to meet me and talk to me and you know I, I liked talking about the show I was I was always really grateful and, and gracious with fans so it was like a superpower and then when the other news started coming out it became the scarlet letter and I didn't want people to recognize me and if they did it was kind of a scary thing because there's a lot of hate behind um, what they think this organization was and what they did and things like that. So uh, it's it's very different in that respect. But I suppose it has similarities in that they're just, you know, imagining a meaning about me based on things they've seen on TV. Sure. Now, okay, so let's get into let's get into this a little bit. What what do you think is going on? Because by the way, I don't think it, I think it probably happens to people like you a lot more, but it probably happens to all of us sometimes. And we sure. probably do it to people all the, like, we probably all do it sometimes, right? We have a... Uh, oh, we uh, gossip you know, about people, you know, we, we, yeah. we vent about people and our opinions, um, they affect how other people then perceive that people were talking about and it's hard to forget them. Like, I don't know if you've ever had someone like rant to you about someone and then you met them and you're like, Oh, they, they're kind of like, not, that doesn't really fit my, what I thought right. they would be like, but you can't erase that. And that's, I right. think the most in insidious thing about our media and about people who are really not mindful about how they speak about other people is they don't realize the damage it does to the integrity of the person and, and how they're perceived. Yeah. So what, what do you think some of the, I, I don't want to talk about Nixium per se, uh, but in order to have this discussion, we, I, I think the yeah, interesting no, angle in here is like, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Why, what do you think is going on with people emotionally? Like what's the, What's the feelings that they're having that are preventing them from like, because you could have a rational conversation with you and then still disagree with you at the end of it. But mm -hmm. that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like people who are just they can't they like close their their ears and stomp their feet and yell, I'm not listening, basically. And like that that's. I think the they're scared. I think they're really scared. I think I think the narrative was very effective in preying on people's kind of um, deep-seated fears as well as social taboos. So things that we're not even allowed to talk about, which means that you can't even fill in information that might allay someone's fear because it's just something you you don't even, we don't talk about. Like we don't, 
Um, we don't question if someone says that they were abused or victimized. Like that's, that's not okay. It's not okay to hold a woman accountable. There are certain circumstances, but it, I think in this case, the, the victims were very, um, I don't know how to say it, uh, well, uh, untouchable kind of. They're kind of untouchable okay. in, in a lot of ways. And, and it's like you call something a sex cult or even just a cult. That's a horrible word. And you right. say, like, well, define it. You know, and if I said it, people would say, oh, well, that's what someone in a cult would say. Like, you would try to pick that's apart. That's actually one of the things people like, say about <laughs> right, you. That's right. exactly what someone in a cult would say. It's like, All right. And it's just, it's like a, a godal problem. Like, there's just no out. There's nothing I could say, even if it was so logical. And th this is a thing. When I would have conversations with some of the people who now have, um, you know, really gone against the organization, I would, they would tell me these things that they were upset about, that they thought were happening. And I would say, well, well where's the proof? Like, I, I'm open to your side of things, show me. And, you know, what you're saying, I want to understand, but it needs to make sense to me. And they're like, well, there you go with your logic again. And I'm like, but logic is a legitimate That's not thing. Part of a cult. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like that's a legitimate okay. request. If you're saying that yeah. people are doing terrible things, I think it's appropriate to require evidence before you act on it. And that just wasn't right. wasn't a thing, if anything. And I don't like to use like the same kind of methods, but I feel like their behavior is much more cult like. Like they couldn't be questioned. They used all kinds of like dramatic, subjective, emotional language. Right. Whereas I just try to evaluate for myself what makes sense based on actual evidence. You know, you're reminding me of something that uh, I don't think we, you and I talked about. When I read, I recently read the Anarchist Handbook, which is a collection of essays from anarchists over history. And some of them were like, full-on commies like i am not a communist but they were just full-on commies um and it was a challenge for me to go into reading the essay without this like seething dismissal of everything they had to say because i already knew that they were commies it was like mm, oh yeah this is an essay by a communist um right. and and i've got a lot of like yes. emotional responses to communism so um but, but what I realized was like your responsibility, if you're going to have a discussion about something or if you're going to actually want to be taken seriously intellectually, you have a responsibility to, to entertain. It doesn't mean you actually think it's true, but you have a responsibility to like put disbelief aside for a second and entertain the arguments as they mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. and engage mm -hmm. with them as they are and then right. after that if you if you say oh well here's a hole i see and this is the problem and yes it is a house of cards and it falls apart and here's how that's mm -hmm. fine but it's dishonest to engage with it only by seeking something wrong with it without kind of stepping back and entertaining it as mm -hmm. as a possibility in the world and i think a lot of times i don't know if people like when they're interacting with you i'm wondering if maybe they're 
in order to interact with you about Nixium, for example, um, one has to be able to temporarily say, well, what if it's possible that what she's saying is completely true? What if it's mm-hmm. possible that all of this is not at all of the way it was portrayed? And you might come to the conclusion after a discussion with you that no, in fact, it was completely correctly portrayed or you portrayed and whatever. Right. But to have the conversation, you have to be able to suspend disbelief for a moment. You have to be able to put it out there as a possibility. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not really engaging with people. And I see that quite a lot. I see it uh, in any kind of religious discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it in a lot of discussions about politics. And I see it in discussions with you about Nixium or anything kind of related to it where yeah. there's that kind of an attitude. Does that make sense? It it totally makes sense. And that was actually exactly the other thing um, I was going to say of why I think it's so hard for people to even entertain the possibility that that what I have to say has merit because of what it means if it's true. Right. What it means if it's true is that there are people who are lying and have like gained a, a lot of sympathy and fame. It means that our government is corrupt and could put innocent people in prison. It means that the media lies and we can't trust them. It it means a lot of things that are very uncomfortable to entertain. Yeah. And yeah, I, I do think there's a lot of protection and cognitive dissonance that needs to happen in order to protect these assumptions that we you know, move through the world with in order to feel safe. Like if it's possible that someone could accuse me of something that I didn't do and I could be tried in the court of public opinion and then tried in court and be convicted even though I'm innocent and without going into all the details of of what happened with Nexium, it's a very complex, nuanced case. But I do think that, that my perspective challenges those those notions and that's very hard for people to you know I I get why they don't want to believe that that could be so honestly I don't know because I I've thought about this a lot what I would make of it if I weren't in the position I am like if I were just reading it Mm -hmm. in the news I don't know that I would be able to give the the people I read read about the benefit of the doubt so it's it's very humbling that regard and and for that reason as hard as it is I don't I don't blame people like I understand it um but uh yeah I wish more people were open I have to say cuz I think you know I I think I'm I'm not the person that I that some people think I am and and it's unfortunate that that I walk around with that um prejudice but I feel like the problem is much, it, I mean, you're a great example. Like you can bring this problem out to yeah. the surface very no, easily, it, but yeah. it's all over the place, right? Totally. It's, um, and I think it is based on a psychological need to evade a contradiction, right? Mm-hmm. So contradictions in your, I, on this show, I talk a lot about conceptual hierarchies and like contradictions when identified are very uncomfortable because um, most people are married to their view of the world. Um, and a contradiction means that that view of the world is threatened. It might end up being a minor threat, but it could end up being something that really upsets the apple cart, right? And so 
Uh, yeah. Contradictions are very uncomfortable to deal with. And rather than deal with them, I think a lot of people just use emotional tools to evade those. And, and one emotional tool is she's a cult member. Therefore, I don't have to listen to anything she says. Everything right. she said, oh, she's saying two plus two is four. I don't have to listen because right. she's a cult member. Like I can, right. I can push that aside and not have to not have to deal with it. Um, but I think that's, I honestly, I think that's one of the big issues that we have right now in, in our culture is, is that's how people have been taught. They've been taught that the genetic fallacy is a completely legitimate way to look at the world. Oh, this person is on this side. This person's on that yeah. side. No further analysis required. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's more comfortable, that's for sure. And I think I think our school system is is set up in a way that rewards a feeling of certainty and and like knowingness. And so we're kind of brought up uh, um, to to feel like we can know and being put in these situations where we have to evaluate and there's no simple answer. And maybe people that we associate with or depend on think something that we don't think and that's also a scary thing you know like to um divert from the tribe so there are a lot of uh emotional obstacles that a person needs to overcome to be able to let in information and actually critically evaluate it and we're not taught or encouraged in fact i think we're discouraged to do that in our culture Absolutely, we are. Yeah, absolutely. Except for on this show, right? (laughs) Well, we try, right? I mean, I'm sure we fail sometimes, right? But uh, yeah, we try. And I think part of it is, I have talked about this before. Um, I I made a conscious decision like 20 some some odd years ago. Mumble, mumble probably closer to 30. Um, I made a conscious decision a <laughs> long time going. ago. Uh, yeah. To, um, to marry the epistemological process rather than the conclusions. Um, and I think that's unusual. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I, I, I think it's an unusual thing and I think it's the right thing to do. Um, there's a, I think that the, especially the way that we're encouraged now, because we have a lot of tribal um, culture is very tribal. It's just a lot of tribal, I'll say pressures um, that you are led to identify with a set of conclusions. There's this set of conclusions and there's this set of conclusions. And when people meet you and evaluate you, they're, they're trying to evaluate you based on what conclusions what conclusions you've drawn that indicates what camp you're in. And I think people use that for a self-identification as well. Well, I'm someone, for example, someone might say, well, I believe in government healthcare and women's right to choose and uh, affirmative action and uh, wars in Syria. And like, that's the camp, whatever it is. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in that camp. That's me. Those are my conclusions. Um, And that's not, how a thinking person ought to approach the world. I think a thinking person ought to approach the world is with the, the idea that I'm not my conclusions, but I am my process. Like I am trying to marry the process and 
I'm allowed to be wrong. I'm allowed to talk to someone and at the end of mm -hmm. it, change my mind without being a hypocrite or without feeling I've lost any part of my self-esteem. In fact, my esteem is really based, part of my esteem is really based on how honest I am with respect to applying reason to situations and being willing to change my mind if it turns out yeah. that I'm wrong or or even just declare, I don't know, like with, with Nixium, for my relationship to Nixium at this point is, I don't know and I don't, I, I hate to say it, I kind of don't care. Like it's not, I mean, I care because it affects you and we're friends now, but like I don't, Yeah. I'm not there. I'm not the person in jail. I'm not the person affected one way or another. If there was no. injustice, I think that's bad and I think it should be fought, but like I don't have all the details. I haven't researched it. And there's lots of injustices and things that go on in the world. I don't have to have Absolutely. a detailed opinion about all of them. Like, I don't know. I, it's It's okay for me to say, I don't know. I do know people have agency. I do know um, I've identified some things that are suspect. <laughs> okay. Uh, on From the documentaries, I mean, like some things that are like, oh, I don't like how that was portrayed and, you know, whatever. But yeah. it doesn't really matter it, to me personally. And I don't think it should matter to me personally. I don't know if you disagree with that. But. No, I mean, I think, yeah you touch on something that's been really baffling to me, which is how many people tell me what they think they know about my life and my experience. And, and just like, it's, it's shocking to me um, that this story has really like captured the imaginations of people to the point where they invest so much time commenting, messaging, saying, nasty things, um, telling us, telling us who we are and, and what we experienced. Um, I just would never do that. I would never yeah. ever think to do that. If I saw something about someone and I thought maybe my life experience or, or my wisdom could be of benefit to them, maybe I would reach out and say like, Hey, I'm, I'm here for you. Maybe. Or, Hey, like, wow, you're really going through a hard time. I'm sorry. Or something. But, but the, the audacity and arrogance of people and just the sheer time they have to invest in these things that have nothing to do with them is, is quite baffling to me. Um, I'd love to talk to one of these people at some point and just understand like, what is it for you? Because I couldn't even get through the documentaries. Like, so I think it's a fetish. <laughs> no, I and I'm using that word intentionally. Yeah, I think it's a fetish, um, and I think that if sex had not been involved, no one would give a yeah. shit. No one would give a um, shit. And if it so, if the gender yeah. roles were reversed, also no one would give a shit. Yes, in fact, many men would be looking to get into the cult. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> the absolutely, cult. absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we, so we have talked about this. There is a, this is one of those, it is one of these weird things where we have an obsession. So as a culture, we're obsessed with, we're obsessed with sex, but we have this weird love hate relationship with it where, um, we have high infidelity, like massive porn consumption um almost no one i just looked this up people that have single sex partners their entire lives 12 percent of men 
and 25% of women. I think that's actually high probably, but those are what people admit to. What people, right, right, so, right exactly. Okay, yeah. so like most people not living the be a virgin, get married, stay married to one person and only have have sex with them, you know, in the missionary position for your whole life and blah, like no one's doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, very few people are 50 shades of gray, right. horribly written piece of crap, but still so popular. very popular, very popular. super popular. Um, people really interested in anything racy. We were starting to dress up our, you know, preteen singers in, in outfits that look like they're, they should be walking 42nd street or whatever. Like that's the, we've got that kind of a relationship with it. But the minute someone, the minute there's some kind of something that can be scandalized and i'm curious about why you guys could be scandalized but maybe like charlie sheen couldn't be or whatever but like the minute that no it is interesting scandalized like then suddenly we get very self-righteous and puritanical and like well that's a sex cult blah blah, 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 blah. they're doing blah, blah. like okay well no i know it's kind of funny like i wonder if if keith was like a rock star if people would feel the if same it was way Keith richards no one would right? care <laughs> well they right. don't care clearly because right. <laughs> i mean i've heard stories sure. um but yeah there's something that really hits a nerve with people about this guy who's like seemingly just kind of nerdy but is able to attract these women and and I think for some men, there's just like a deep repressed um, feeling of wanting that, but judging that it's not okay or they can't have that, like being with more than one like woman. The, is it like the gay conservative guy who's secretly like, he's anti-gay, but he's secretly passing notes on in the men's stalls to people? Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a man, but I... I don't think I'd be going out too far on a limb to say that I think a lot of men would love to have multiple women as partners. Oh, I who think were it's cool one of the it. biggest fantasies of of guys, right? I mean, okay. So yeah, I, I think you can look it up. I think that's one of the most. So how dare ever. this nerdy guy get away with it? I mean, clearly he didn't, but um, I don't know. I think I think it, there's some like complicated suppressed feelings of like what what primitively or emotionally feels good versus what is socially acceptable um either to want or to have and there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there and and then for the women like I I watched this uh, interview or this live stream discussion where the host actually played part of an interview uh, with me, my Scott Adams interview. Mm -hmm. And then the men picked it apart, saying that I was victimized, that I didn't really want that, that I felt badly about it. And right. it's it's so crazy to me first of all like again i just would never pretend to know that much about someone i've never met i've only seen five minutes of a an interview which by the way was the first interview i've i'd ever done speaking about something incredibly personal before as an actor i never talked about my personal life ever and it's been like put under the microscope it's been dramatized scandalized in 
ways that are like make me blush because I'm just that's not me and um so you know of course I'm nervous of course I'm trying to say the right things but then they make it into something else and I think the idea that someone like me would be okay being in a relationship with someone who had other partners was like inconceivable but I don't I think it comes from a place of like not wanting to accept that that could be or that another man could have that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, don't I mean, know I don't want to go into their about psychology this. about no, no, about I, I these get things, it. Well, but I just I'm like, what is going on for them? They just can't accept that I'm a person. And that I make choices just like everybody does. And I might actually want to make the choices that I'm making, that I'm not being like abused or brainwashed or like controlled by a man. Yeah, the brainwash, we can circle back to brainwash later. I don't even like it as a word because I don't, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a word that deprives people of agency generally. Um, oh, 100%. Like, Right. It implies that like, oh, you couldn't help it. You were brainwashed. It's like, no, you made decisions that maybe some people will think are stupid. Like yeah. And maybe a, you're an actual cult or whatever. Right. Right. And maybe there's like outside influences, just like there is in any, you know, someone's upbringing, you know, your parents pressure you to go to med school. Like, of course, that can exist. But at the end of the day, you're the one making those choices. And you're the one who has to live with the effects and take responsibility. And I just believe that that's a better way to live. Yeah, and it, it is, I can see, I can see the psychological appeal to uh, that some people would have to allowing themselves to be quote brainwashed, right? It's a because you don't, you no longer, I think a lot of people are afraid about making decisions for themselves because life is, you know, you have one life and self-ownership is an agency, is a responsibility. And I think some people just don't want that responsibility. And mm -hmm. so um, I could see giving, I, I wouldn't do it, but I could, I could see the psychological, and I don't think it's a good idea, but I could see the psychological motivation for giving up that agency and saying like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to defer um and and have blind faith in in someone or whatever but yeah. i don't know i when you when you say so do do you think it is about do you think it was just about the you think it was about envy? Let's not pick on those two guys in particular. Yeah, like, no, 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 not those people. No, just generally, is this like is no. this guys saying like I'm envious of this and I want to be in that position? Is that what it is? I think it's much more complicated. I think, I think there might be that if you isolated that, but a lot of people assume that that Keith abused his power and that's how he was able to have the the relationships he had and i think that's another scary thing um for men to try on because i think mm. you know we all maybe have had experiences of abusing power intentionally or not in different ways and it's it's not a good thing and so maybe it's a scary thing to 
connect with. And so it's very important to condemn it. What does it mean to abuse power? Oh, this could be a whole. You know, I'm like, I'm generally I, because I, I, power, I, I don't think it's obvious. Yeah. So I think power is earned. And um, so when you earn power, there is a specific use for which that power is to be applied. That's how you that okay. because that's how you've earned so it. So like I'm the I'm the boss of the factory because I've earned it and like I'm allowed exactly. I can't tell you what to eat, but I'm allowed to tell you when to show up at work. Exactly. And you're okay. you have a specific role. Um whoever either promoted you into that position or you earned it by creating a company of your own and employing the people they trust you to you know, use your power according to the business and the exchange that you've made with them. And so abusing that power, as you say, would be, you know, overstepping the boundaries of the the constraints of your power as it so was it a violation upon. of trust that was placed in you in some way. Right. Like yeah, if I it, give, it, it, it if I own a shop yeah. and I give a manager the keys to the shop, there's an understanding of what the shop's to be used for. He can't then go like make copies of the keys and then have weekend keggers at exactly. the store. Like that's an abuse of his power. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what happens when you get to a situation in which, uh, let's just make it nice and triggering. You have a a vulnerable, doughy-eyed young woman. Right. Uh, maybe a documentary was made about her. I don't know. You have a, a, a doughy-eyed, vulnerable yeah. young woman and a man, I don't know, 20 years older. Uh, and she looks up to him for some reason, and he wants to start a sexual relationship. And he pressures her, but social pressure, like, you know, pressures her. Hey, if you want to keep hanging out with me, uh, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Is that an abuse of power? I think so. I think if it's, um, yeah, if it's using the, if it's using some sort of social pressure or, um, it's tough. I mean, cause it, you describe like the doughy eyed woman. I, I mean, she has, right. No, no. And, and I think like, I've also, you know, I worked in Hollywood. I've been in situations where directors have, um, made moves. Okay. So, so I can, I can explicitly speak to this situation, to being in that circumstance and being unsure when they wanted to hang out, if it was professional, which would have been good for my career, or if it was purely sexual interest. And, um, you know, these are men who are married. So I, I assumed innocently that, that mattered. And it's, uh, you're, plus you're in Hollywood. That's pretty dumb, but okay. Well, I was in Vancouver, so. Oh, I, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Maybe, maybe in Vancouver you could have I hadn't, okay. hadn't been totally corrupted yet. Just kidding. I'm not corrupted, I don't think. <laughs> um, no, but I was in those situations and I, I walked away. Like I felt very uncomfortable and I said no and I walked away. Um, I'm not saying that was easy, but I did it. 
so I don't know. I but so I can that's imagine why you're not more famous is what that's, that's the yeah probably probably <laughs> um, but I just I I feel like in this in a very um, difficult position because I really can empathize with that experience of feeling um, pressured both to maybe preserve some sort of relationship but the the thing in my mind is like if it was professional then then they wouldn't be doing that. So clearly it's not. And I didn't, I didn't want that. Like I didn't, first of all, I didn't want to earn, excuse me, earn my way that way. So I, I, then I think that's a, then you don't even feel good with, at least I didn't feel like I would feel good if I like got a role because I, you know, slept with someone. Right. But I do empathize with feeling pressure to engage in, in some way. Um, but I also think women need to take responsibility for, for what they choose. Um, so I think in general, just the, the better conversation that we should be having around these situations is why do women feel so dependent? Why do they feel pressured? Like even when I was, um, I was, I guess like 19 when, when I first had an experience like that, like how could I have been more aware, more informed, you know, maybe more resourceful in, in knowing what was going on? Like to me, it makes more sense to focus on how can we help women grow and be more self-aware as opposed to and, f- and feel okay saying no if, if it's not something they want. Uh, rather than you know demonizing men and making women default victims and on top of that this is where it gets tricky and and this is more my perspective on the nexium situation is that women knowingly and enthusiastically chose certain things and even not just chose them pursued them proactively okay. and then later when when they experienced a certain humiliation from like the media starting to say things, or maybe they started to not feel as special as they did in the beginning or any number of other factors, social pressures, then they changed their mind about the decisions they made. So I know that I'm not, I'm not trying to speak for anyone else, I think that that does happen. And that's where it's an issue because then how do men know? How do men know if a woman is consenting or not, if she's able to change her mind later and create a whole bunch of effects from that? So I know that's not necessarily the conversation we started. Yeah, no, no. I I, I think you tweeted this the other day about I don't I don't have a son I have daughters so I, but if I did I I know how I'd have responded to that tweet you tweeted about hey people that are raising sons are you concerned about them being falsely accused or something like that? I don't yeah. paraphrasing I don't remember um, and how could you not be right I mean you've seen in universities you've seen explicit rules that are like if they're drunk it's his fault if she regrets it afterwards. Right, it's like completely biased, yeah. kind of weird um, rules that everyone kind of just nods their head and, and says, "Yeah, that's the way it is." And I, 
it seems like we've got a, a we've got a bunch of women who want to have it both ways. They want to say we're equals and we have agency, which I'm supportive of, but like we're equals mm-hmm. and we have agency and we need to be taken care of specially. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two things can't go together. Mm-hmm. Um, you either get treated like a child, yep. but don't get the responsibilities of an adult or you get the responsibilities of adult and you don't get the treatment of a child. You, you have, you have the full responsibility. Um, right. and that means being able to say no. One of the things that you're touching on that really disappointed me about the Harvey Weinstein thing was like how many, I mean, how it's how long I, I look at this and I think <laughs> there's always going to be one or two scumbags, right? Like there's always going to be sure. predators. What allows Harvey to exist is the number of women who say yes. Yeah. If they, if they just all said no, or if only one or two said no, like it, it wouldn't work or exposed him. Right. And, and, and they will say, well, you don't understand. It was power and my whole career is on the line and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But how does he have that power? Yeah. That's how he gets it. And I mean, I look at this as like, I think prostitution should be legal, but if you can't, if you're going to do that, then you've just made yourself a prostitute and like, Mm -hmm. you can't complain about it. It's like, well, that's what you decided to do. You made yourself a prostitute. Um, you Mm -hmm. can't later complain that it was a problem. Um, yeah, I, and and yes, he's a violent individual. Right. Well, no. And that's, that's the thing. And, and going back to kind of our, our topic of social repugnance, I think, when also it goes into like the criminal uh, part, it's it's very hard for someone like Harvey Weinstein to get a fair trial because it's just like, who would defend such a monster? You know, how could you question these poor women? There's just like so much prejudice that comes from this hatred and fear, like hatred of, of people who abuse their power. And a lot of people probably have had personal experiences too, which really like muddy the perception. I That's another thing I found is that people come, you know, they talk to me and they if they've ever been in a like narcissistic abusive relationship, they project everything that they went through on me. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And I genuinely, you know, I feel for anyone who has been through that, but that's not my experience, but they're not open to it. And I think the same thing happens when we see these high profile cases where everyone just like throws all of their baggage of like bad experiences onto this one person and there's no distinctions yeah i'm you're depressing me right because <laughs> sorry no 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 it's <laughs> i'm i'm also thinking of kavanaugh who i didn't particularly thought was a great judge or anything but what a what a great example yeah. of like taking her at face value there was no innocent until proven guilty there was no attempt yeah. at fairness really it was just a lot of looking for stuff projecting um yeah. and and, and exploiting that genuine empathy yeah. people have for for someone who's been abused or sexually assaulted like 
you know, it's good that we feel genuine right. concern for someone who's been through that. But I do believe there are people who take advantage of that for their own political gain or attention or fame or anything. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's good. I want to circle back to something I was saying before. It, it's difficult. I think it's slightly difficult for me to be objective about the Nixium stuff because I live in the, I've lived in the Bay area for over 20 years. The idea that people have open relationships is like, I, I, f I feel like you could flip a coin at the Safeway and you'd run in like, in like, th that's the probability that, you know, you meet someone, flip a coin. Right. That's the probability that they'll, be in an open relationship be or some poly sort of, or right yeah right. something right mm -hmm. um and i've talked about this in, on the show in the past so i don't think i'm tmiing people but like i've had i've been in i've tried poly and other relationships in the past i made decisions about what worked for me and what didn't work and why and i actually have arguments about why i don't think some things work generally for certain mm -hmm. goals in life mm -hmm. um they might work for other goals but you know uh so, and you know, maybe I relearned some stuff the hard way, but it's not when people are like, well, how could this possibly be going on? It's like, well, where do you live? Like, are you under a rock? Of course this is yeah. like, yes, there are yeah. people who are comfortable with different, uh, Lifestyle. Sexualities are yeah. so li lifestyles, I'll say. And the thing that's odd to me is it's not just the conservatives. I could see the conservatives being upset um, because there's a there's a very puritanical relationship. But mm -hmm. conservatives have a fetishized relationship with sex generally, I think. But that's mm -hmm. a separate issue. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. this like maniacal obsession with sex in, in a way. But they have a particular way of viewing it. Um, but it's also I, you're also getting criticism from people who are the same people who would say be trans activists and be all about any other kind of alternate sexuality. It's just that particular thing is bad. Mm -hmm. And that strikes me as it means that they're not reacting to the sex. They're reacting to something else, um, I think. What do you think it is? I thought it was the sex until I just said it out loud. And now I'm like, it must be something else. I don't know. Uh, I, I assumed it was the sex, but it, it's got to be. Some people think it's the branding and other people have no issue with the, with the brand. Um, I mean, the branding, I, I think, think it's just a whole, weird, I think but... it's a gestalt of, um, you know, several things taken way out of context during the height of me too um I so guess. yeah and then there's the you know the and then the the Bronfman wealth like there's just a lot of things that inspire social repugnance in people um, so you think it's just this confluence of there's like a perfect storm of kinda, stuff kind of because when i have conversations with people and i try to isolate it it it's hard to figure out exactly what it is because you know i can you know unpack the brand and how it's it's just like a tattoo the women knew about it like it, 
it's also how it's been portrayed. Like I said, they really did an amazing job. Just for example, with the branding, you know, the the cult where where women were branded, not where you know this sorority right. where women chose to get a brand, just like fraternities. It's just like a tattoo. It's not a cattle brand the way that they have you imagine it. And then in the in the shows, they put this dark, scary music, and they put animations so of shadows. Cool. And yeah, exactly. And it's just it's absurd because we were suburban people living totally normal lives and trying to do things that made us stronger, maybe in slightly unconventional ways, but not even close to a lot of things that, like you say, probably happen in San Francisco, you know, I don't know, clubs or whatever. whatever. Exactly. (laughs) Like really not, not that out there. Um, But I do think it was just, painted in such a way and there was a lot of you know money and and uh, momentum behind the narrative in the media and the media is really you know that that's who we look to to tell us how to feel about stuff yeah i'm just i maybe it's the occam's razor part of me that there's something unsatisfying about the perfect storm uh explanation but maybe maybe that's it i don't know um I'm trying to see. I haven't really looked at the at the chat. We can do. Oh, there's. Let's there's go, one branding. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Dapsloff Act Mand Carey says, "Keep fighting, and always remember there are four lights." Oh yes, I will um, always remember. I promise. Yeah. Uh, all right. So okay, so. we'll we'll go with the perfect storm <laughs> explanation. I guess. So if it was, well, there's another thing too. I mean, I do think people are afraid of possibly like being brainwashed or like that they could be in a situation where they might be persuaded to do things that they don't want to do. It's I think that in, inspires uh-huh. something in people. So when I when I saw the documentary and saw the master slave thing, uh, I thought about like, okay, what's the context in which? Again, I tried to approach it a little bit like, all right, I'm going to be open to like, there's a positive goal here, uh, and what's, you know, what what could be going on? That's that's a positive goal. Um, And I, you know, I came up with some ideas about what, why people might want to do that and what the, what the goals are. And 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 I, you and I haven't talked about this, but and I don't think it is actually a good way to accomplish those goals. Uh, so I, I I ended up saying, okay, well, I I don't like it as a strategy, but I understand the idea behind the strategy. I think, um, but. The branding, the branding is just, I don't know. I think people aren't familiar with the branding. Um, like they don't realize that kids get branded in sororities or mm. fraternities. And, yeah. And- I mean, I've received so many messages from people in sororities and fraternities who've watched the show and they're like, girl, 
it like what you guys did was nothing compared to what what some of us do like they've told me stories that i'm that horrify me um yeah i don't know i i think it's got to relate to I'm going to go back to the sex. It's got to relate to the sex. It's got to be that there's got to be something about an ordinary guy like Keith mm-hmm. being in that situation. That's got to be what freaks people out. I think um, so. I, so we and I have talked about this and it's something that bothers me and we're breaking this rule with you because your sex life is already somewhat public. Um, unfortunately like that's you're gonna make me blush okay i'm not i mean we're not gonna get further into your sex life don't worry i'm just like but we've already kind of broken this rule a little bit with you by talking sure sure um we do have we are in this in this culture in which we are fascinated with everyone else's sex life Mm. um and where we feel comfortable saying oh are you gay? Are you bi? Like, you know, at, like asking questions, like it's a news story. If someone runs for office and they're gay, that's a news story. Yeah. If someone runs for office and if, if you were to run for office, this would be clearly a news story. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who is polyamorous running, it would be a news story. Um, oddly enough, someone in, on their sixth marriage who cheats all the time would not be a news story. Uh, that's That would be mm-hmm. par for the course. That would be normal. Um, mm-hmm. But we we kind of have this expectation that people owe us an explanation of their sexuality when we're not soliciting them. Like if someone came up to in a bar and me in a bar and was like, do you want to go home and have sex? Like, okay, hopefully that wouldn't be their line. But like (laughs) I I can then I would understand why there's an expectation that I reveal my something about my sexuality because they would be like, could that is that possible? Um, Or is there compatibility? But if that's not the context, what's the what's, what's the it reason to them? why anyone needs to know? And and I've yeah. I told you this, and I, I I'm never going to answer questions about my sexuality because it's no one's business. Um, and I wish that we were in a world in which more people would say, "I'm just not going to answer." Like yeah, even, like gay, straight, whatever it is, we don't need to be asking. Do we? Well, that's, that's exactly the pickle that I find myself in, because there are a lot of things that I could share that would clarify different details and maybe make certain things more understandable or relatable, even if people don't agree, but at least it would, I think, um, diminish a lot of the the outrage and at the same time like i said like even if you if you google like before this happened you know who's dated who there's websites like that like even when i was in hollywood i never made that part of my public life i really strongly believed that 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 i should be entitled to have a private life. I understand at a certain level of fame that might be impossible, but I wasn't there and I really valued just having my own my own life and separate from even having fame. I never think that it's my business who people sleep with. Like 
even like there was a point, I think when I was just like, when I was younger and I was questioning a lot of things about relationships and, and the, the meanings and the labels that we put on them. Like I've, I've always been curious to understand and, and challenge conventions, not necessarily to defy them, but to understand them. And, you know, so someone, you know, family members, I'll be like, so are you dating someone? And in my head, I'd be like, so you want to know if I'm having sex with someone? Like, that's kind of rude, right? But that's, that's <laughs> like, the, but people don't, think that they're saying that. And I know that there's, there's, just, it's very socially acceptable and it's like what we talk about, but at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's about. Like, oh, are you dating them? Are you just friends? None of your yeah. business really, unless like you say you're soliciting and, and yeah, as far right. as the whole gender preference, I, it's never been something that I felt the need to identify with to publicize and i and i understand you know the history that people have fought to be accepted in society and i and i get that i can just say for me personally it's it's not something that i think has relevance to any part of my life outside of that part yeah well i'm gonna play I was going to say devil's advocate, but actually it's not really devil's advocate because I think it's mostly <laughs> I'm going to represent the more Christian viewpoint for a second or the, the sure. traditionalist viewpoint. Um, I can see them looking at the world and seeing that it's falling. The Western world's kind of falling apart. Um, we don't have to get into details, but I think most people watching this show are kind of in agreement that things are kind of going the wrong direction and, and <laughs> the Western world is falling apart. Uh and I think there's a traditionalist mindset, which is, well, we need to get back to blankety blank time. And that includes, it's a, it's a package deal mindset, right? It includes the sexual mores of the past, as well as some of the, the other good things about the past. And, and they are seeing an abuse. I think it's an abuse of sexual freedoms. I think there's a lot of abuse of the sexual freedoms right now. Um, and I don't mean it in a, like, you're hurting me with your sexual freedoms. I mean, people are hurting themselves. I think there's a lot of self abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the, when the, when the restrictions on sexuality were lifted, I think we've, some people have gone full on hedonism in a way that is actually self-destructive and isn't good for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I could see more traditionalists reacting to this going, well, it's important that we uh, uh, try and stuff everything back in Pandora's yeah. box, right? We mm -hmm. have to like, we have sure. to get control of it again and mm -hmm. stuff it back because things were better then than mm -hmm. they are now. Um, so I, I relate to that. And I guess I'll ask you just not personally, but just What's your view on I, I don't think that we should do that, by the way. I think we should move yeah. forward. And I think I think maybe we we were here and we overcorrected and we should like kind of bounce back and find what actually works and is rational and healthy. Um I'm just curious, I what are your thoughts on that without getting personal? Sure. Well, I think that's the same thing that happens when you try to enforce anything through fear or violence is that you create all these um, kind of 
repressed impulses that people now they're not even allowed to acknowledge that they have. And then they, I think, then they come out when they do in even more unhealthy ways. The thing is, it's easier to control through fear than to inspire people and motivate them to make good decisions, you know, on their own. And I think ideally we would, you know, nurture and educate people in a way that inspired healthy decisions around sex and relationships, as opposed to making them feel shame about their bodies or making them feel shame about urges and, and repressing different things and not even being able to talk about how they feel, what they desire and things like that. So it's, it's, it's a more difficult road. It takes more effort on everybody's part. I think it's a more evolved and civilized way to go, but it's, it's harder. And there's, there's less, you know, there's a feeling of more chaos, but, you know, otherwise you're just, you know, trying to enforce some order and you're, I think it's in the long run more inevitable that people are going to defy it, which is kind of, I think what you're alluding to what's happening now. It's like the pendulum has swung too far and it's not, it's not necessarily good. Like it's not coming from a self-full place. It's coming from a, like a, a more like almost, um, adolescent, like teenage, like you can't control right. me. I'll do what I want. But that's exactly. the yes. opposite of what I'm you're being told. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't, doesn't exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but it's harder to teach your kid about how to eat healthy and you can't control it as much if you just say like you're a bad person if you eat the cake right and in fact i know someone who was raised with never any sugar it was like almost like totally sweets were completely banned in every way all the time but of course when she grew up and had access to sweets she had no muscle for moderating sweet consumption because in reality they're everywhere and so totally. once you're an adult, access is like the floodgates are open. And she had a totally. big problem with with eating sweets because she had no she had never built up that muscle for, oh, I can have a little bit and then I need to stop. And like, right. And finding a reason for oneself that it would be good or bad to make different choices as opposed to pleasing or displeasing a parent which is a, yes. it's a tricky balance as, as a parent, right? Because you want to instill certain values and habits, but at the same time, you want to give them enough freedom that they develop their own moral compass. And I feel like that's the same in our culture and our civilization. Like, you know, you want to instill certain values, but if you enforce them, then they're no longer that person's values. Then their value is just not being shunned or attacked or judged, right? Their value isn't actually the thing. I am so glad. I did not expect us to talk about child rearing, but I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm super glad you brought this up because it's, uh, I think it's crucial and not enough parents listen to this. So uh, like not enough enough parents, not enough parents have that perspective that you just outlined. I, Parents seem to, th- many parents seem to think that um, discipline, like authority 
is the answer. Um, we don't, don't do this. Why? Because I said so, or because, right. or just an arbitrary, because it's wrong. That's not a reason actually, by the way, you haven't said why it's wrong, right? Or right. because it's written down here. Um, mm -hmm. That introduces a dynamic of you, you, your behavior needs to be moderated by an authority figure. That's yeah. why you, you do things. And by the way, um, that can lead to two outcomes. One, it can lead to rebelling against authority for a strong-willed person. They end up being a rebel and breaking all those rules intentionally, yeah. precisely yeah. because they're rules that are arbitrary, at least arbitrary to them, right? Right, um, right. Or they become really good fodder for a stronger authoritarian to give them more stuff to do later in life. Um, right. And... One thing that I, when I had my first child, one thing that I vowed never to do was to say, never to say, because I told you so. Um, and which sounds like a minor thing, but you, you realize that, uh, actually a lot of times, um, we're not prepared to give reasons. We have things that we do and expect totally ourselves to do, <laughs> but we're not prepared to give reasons. For and everything. And kids are just like, but why, 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 They want why, reasons why? for everything. <laughs> yeah. And I, that would be another rule I made myself was, was yeah. like, I'll just answer why, like genuinely answer why. Um, yeah. And it led to some really interesting, did it make parenting more difficult at times? I wouldn't say more difficult, but more time consuming at times. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It like, takes, oh, it takes more why? effort. Yeah. You know, sometimes my answer would be like, well, gee, why do we do that? Thing? Well, yeah. I'd have to think. And then and sometimes I would have to be like, uh, let me think about it. <laughs> right. And, and maybe sometimes it doesn't matter. Like maybe you realize your, maybe yes. that your reason was arbitrarily downloaded to you from your parents or teachers yes. or whatever. And so it's, yeah, it's a very valuable uh, circumstance to put yourself in. I, I feel like yeah. children teach us so much about yes. our own inconsistencies and hypocrisies and things like that. Like they, they're so pure and they genuinely want to know. And, and yeah, we don't, we don't always know why we do what we do or yeah, why they should do what they, thing. we want them to. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Is. Um, and it's, it's one of the things I love most about having kids and there's a, because you, if you want them to have a moral compass, if you want them to grow up having an actual moral compass, they need to internalize all of those morals, which which means not memorize, yeah. not get accustomed to, but embrace willfully because they yeah. know why. <laughs> like, yeah. They have the why themselves. That's the only way that it really sticks. Um, yeah. And well, and, and yeah. that again, going back I feel like this relates to what we were talking about earlier, that that is a more uncomfortable place to be. Like it's easier yes. to just be told what to do and do it. And if, if it works great, if it doesn't, you can just blame the person. Like it's, it's a more vulnerable feeling to really take on the responsibility to cho make choices, knowing that you might fail or might, do something that later you regret or, or whatever. It's so right. You might, you might be wrong. Exactly. Um, yeah. and I think it's interesting, like going back to the, like the whole cult thing, I do think there are a lot of people who are attracted to organizations for that reason. Mm -hmm. And that's just true. Like that's just human nature.
And I do think it's, it's a worthy question to ask, okay, but then whose responsibility is it? Like, is it the leader's responsibility to say like, no, no one can listen to me or like, no one, no one, uh, I, I don't know, like, or, or test people to make sure that they're not just like looking for a leader to follow. I mean, it's hard because so many people are like that. And, and I feel, I'm sure that I, you know, like, that's kind of the, the journey of just getting older. Like as you grow up, you look for different people to um, mimic or, or live. You like how you think they live. So you're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be like them. Or maybe you want acceptance from someone. So that's kind of just life until you really, in my, in my case, it just took losing absolutely everything and facing my biggest fears to be like, okay, it's just me. So what do I want to do? What do I care about? And, um, you know, it's, it's really not that different than what I've always done, but I feel very differently about it. You know, there's, there are a lot of people that will give lip service to freedom. They'll pay lip service to freedom and, and independence. But the minute you talk about the, the other side of that coin, the necessary, like it, it not making it up, like these come together, <laughs> the necessary other side of that coin, which is yeah. responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah. They really don't 100%. like it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, getting back to the, you, you know, you're talking about the, the sexual mores. The ugly truth is, we probably don't know what's right in a whole bunch of areas, like what works best. Like it's messy and ugly and it's a, mm-hmm. it's like a we have a responsibility to figure it out and it's a scary, messy, ugly thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it's much easier to do one extreme or the other. Well, has to be this way, that's the only way, that's what's written down, so that's what we do, or you can do anything. Those are very easy because they don't require mm-hmm. thinking. They just mm-hmm. require mm-hmm. doing. Um, right. or obedience. Well, can um, I, but can I ask you, hard. Yeah, when ahead. you say it's a scary, messy, ugly thing, like what do you, what are you referring to? Well, uh, maybe I'm projecting, but, uh, I've, I'm dealing with this, uh, in particular because I, I have a daughter who's 12. Right. And so it's getting to the point where, okay, soon there's going to be more, yeah, and more yeah. discussions right. about stuff. And the question is like, well, I don't want to say what is right, uh, because I'm not. I do mean what is right, but I mean well, it from maybe a very like, like what rational self-interest way. Optimal. Like, what's in your best? Yeah. Right. Right. No, mm-hmm. I understand that. I just like it. It stood out to me because another thing that I think contributes to our um, disgust reaction to anything that falls outside social norms sexually is that. We're taught that a lot of things about it are ugly and bad and shameful. Oh, I don't like, mean especially, that. Especially, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. right. I, I know you mean like. I mean, the problem itself is a complicated, yes. ugly yeah, problem. That, not that's not, how I not understood it. It just triggered yeah, yeah. that thought in my mind, yeah. and I think, I think it's unfortunate that that we do that. I feel like little boys, especially, are like taught to feel that they're dirty, and then of course, women, if they like sex, are taught to believe that they're slutty or. That, that that's right. somehow shameful. But then on the other side, there's like this notion that wi- women should be able to do whatever they want, but it's, it's incongruous. Like it doesn't, right. 
our culture doesn't support a really uh, like anatom. No, that's not the right word. Um, autonomous, like, a- like healthy view of of right. humans relating in in a sexual way. We're we're very, I think, immature about it. Um, yeah. And I think there's probably reasons that are um, benefit, like reasons that benefit certain powers or like religious structures and things. And then there are reasons that just have to do with the com- the human condition, you know, <laughs> and that is just like right. complicated. And we, we haven't done enough, I guess, like um, introspection to really understand it all again, because there's so much taboo and, and shame around it. Yeah, we, it's hard because we can't have – we're not even allowed to have the conversation to solve the problems of figuring exactly. out what's optimal because – Exactly. And there is a lot of inertia, right? There's a lot of cultural inertia there and um, so some of the things – some of the views are based on stuff that's just old, right, and, and yep. made sense in a different time maybe um, yeah. when the dynamic between – spouses was different and and like you had 13 children and five of which well died, and it had to do after, with like prop you know, right and like property year. rights and you know right. different relationships had um yeah very practical practical applications um but it's i i'm coming from the place like it's it's funny to me because sex itself has never been a topic I've been particularly interested in um, discussing, certainly not publicly, but I come from the place of wanting and feeling it very important to talk about anything. And particularly, I want to talk about things that make me uncomfortable. And like, there's topics, there's, there's conversations around sex that make me super uncomfortable. But I think that's good because then if I figure out where that discomfort comes from, there is a certain freedom on the other side of it. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to change my position or my opinion on what's good or bad or what I might choose personally. But at least I'm not avoiding it because I'm uncomfortable. And that's really like, I think it's a very personal thing. I have no soapbox when it comes to sex or how people should, you know, handle it or do it or whatever. But I just, I, I believe that if certain things make you uncomfortable, it's worthy to explore where that comes from so that at least you can feel more whole in yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I actually am super uncomfortable talking about this, especially on air, but I, (laughs) I but I think even though we're not really even talking about, I mean, anything specific. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. And I have to wonder like, yeah, where did that come from? I feel like somewhere along the line, some powers stood to gain from us feeling so uncomfortable, even just talking about sex. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know where it came from in my life and those powers were my parents. Sure. But I don't know. But I don't yeah. know where it came. But they How got it, it from was somewhere. Passed like, yeah, there's something bigger. The yeah. Ages. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I don't. I also want to say, like, I've seen the pages from like the books that are supposedly in schools that are uh, sexually explicit. 
I don't think that's the answer either. I just want to put that out there. Like I, I don't, I think, you know, I think there's a time and a place for people coming to learn certain things and it's, I don't think it's in public school and certainly not at a young age. So, but as adults, I I think we should be able to talk. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think we do, we, there is, there's definitely a movement in society right now to, uh, portray sex as consequence free, um, psychologically, physically, and every other way consequence free. Um, and the minute that you start to say, well, you know, you could do that, but there's another side to this equation and it could lead to this and this and this, and mm-hmm. you know, this is how it could affect you and blah, blah, blah. Uh, no one wants to, like, then you're, you're immediately thrown oppressive. in the category of like, oh, now you're an oppressive. Yeah, well, now you're oppressive, right? Going back to what you were saying about freedom and responsibility, I think a lot of people have a, a, confu- a confusion around freedom as a feeling, and it feels like freedom from responsibility. I actually think freedom is the opposite. I think true freedom is, is committing and fully like, having the freedom and ability to honor your commitments and your values and not be guided by your emotional or physical whims. To me, that's real freedom that you can, you know, have, have character and stand for something as opposed to just like being guided by whatever you feel in the moment and, and mistakenly believing there are no consequences. Yeah, I mean, when when people use the word freedom, like it's one of those words, like like all value judgment words, are actually there's usually parts of the sentence that are missing, um, so it makes it it turns it into this floating abstraction that just kind of doesn't relate to anything. So when I think of the word freedom, like it implies it needs to be freedom from something or freedom to do something. Like at, absent those, it's actually kind of a meaningless thing to talk about. Like. Uh, and I think what we're dealing with is a lot of people who want freedom from the consequences of reality right. to do things, which is right. like, actually, that's not like freedom isn't good. That's not a people are like, oh, I want freedom. That's not right. Freedom isn't good because, first of all, it needs the other part. Freedom from what? Right. right. And if if the from what is from facing the consequences of reality, then like that's actually impossible and you shouldn't be seeking it because it will just destroy you. Like, that's a bad idea. You can't, yeah. you can't escape the consequences of reality. But what you're talking about, you're like, oh, you're talking specifically about, oh, well, I want the freedom to be able to live, be my best self or whatever it is. Okay, that actually does require discipline and responsibility. And like, oh, yeah. to get that, you have to do these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be nice if people clarified what they're talking about when they use freedom but a lot of times they just use freedom in this kind of vague sense and then it gets misused uh and people on one side take it to mean i should have second amendment rights on another side they take it to mean i should be able to sleep with everyone in the world and no one should ever judge me and there should be no negative consequences and i should get a million like all the time off i want in the world to deal with any babies and Mm -hmm. and free abortions like that's freedom it's like okay that's a lot of freedom uh like they're just Right. Vastly different ways of using this this word. So, um, yeah, I, I lost my train of thought. Oh, you know what? You also were reminding me something you said earlier. Reminded me of uh, 
Japan. Have you been to Japan? I haven't. No. So Japan, it's been, admittedly, it's been like 15 years, but I spent a while in Japan. And uh, their sexuality is really funny because they were much more, I think like feudal Japan was, they had mores, but they were much more open about, um, they weren't very prude, right? They were much more open about okay. sexuality and whatever. Like there's there's octopus porn from, you know, old dynasties. Like they, they were Okay. Not so not so prude. Mm-hmm. In post World War Two, um, of course America had a huge influence on their government and rules and laws and, and wrote a bunch of rules. And one of the things that they did was they had anti pornography laws. Uh which is why if people see like pixelation on that's why it's there. It's illegal. Um, and I I often think that what they did culturally was squeeze a balloon in Japan. And they're like, we're going to clamp down on this thing you guys are doing. And what happened over time was you started getting weird. I'm calling them weird, uh, mm-hmm. odd, strange sexual fetishes Fet- come, right. pop out because they squeeze the balloon here. But there's all this like pent up pressure now and and they the culture people in culture can't express themselves that way so they invent these other kind of weird things and i, I don't want to get into all the weird things in japan but like well i remember in high school like the the panty vending machines that's why i remember panty hearing about, i don't know if machines. that's an urban myth no that's real okay. no that's real okay you, yeah panty vending you can be on a subway and like there can be a guy next to you like going to work reading like a porn magazine featuring rape scenes and stuff. It's just oh like my God. weird, like a weird relationship with sex. The culture's just, and yeah. I, don't, I don't, I'm not an expert on feudal Japan. I don't know what the relationship yeah, exactly yeah. was, but it seems like there's been this like squeezing of the balloon here. And then like whoop, this other part popped out and like, okay, mm-hmm. this is how we're going to react. Um, and mm-hmm. What we might be seeing is, you know, America did have a very repressive relationship with sexuality for a long time. And we might just be seeing like their reaction to that, which is like, Mm -hmm. okay, now we're going hog wild. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe we need to find a balance. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like there is um the hog wildness but then there's also the opposite like all the mm-hmm. um like i i believe i've read statistics that young people are having less and less sex yes. like it's um it, i don't know i think we're very confused i i think we're, we're there's a lot of mixed messages um you know i, I think with with media and culture wars and different things there's a lot of inconsistencies and and mixed messages even more so than i probably when when we were growing up and um it's a lot it's a lot to unpack like there there are many threads we could probably pull to yeah, this is very kind of explore <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um i'm certainly certainly no expert but i do like i said like my kind of interest in in all of it is separate from the content is just like anything that 
we are taught to feel uncomfortable about or that it's taboo or that it's socially unacceptable, I, to me, that's kind of a red flag and something that should be further examined. Um, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I think that our culture is like more and more even disallowing that type of conversation or inquiry. Yeah, but like everything, I feel like it's polarized, right? Because there's a section, there's a part of the culture that's like, how dare you question any, how dare you question my hedonism? And then there's mm -hmm. the other part that's like, how dare you even consider any kind of thing mm -hmm. outside this norm? It's like, mm -hmm. which does prevent a conversation as as much as the left and right can't have a conversation. It, it's the same kind of mm -hmm. uh, mechanism at play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think it's... Yeah. It's scary, like kind of with how we began the conversation of there's so much judgment and prejudice. So even to have a conversation like there's things I've said during this conversation, for example, that maybe if I had had time and I was like writing a paper, I would say them differently. I'm saying like the thoughts that that come to my head and probably people will take them out of context and I'll be attacked for it. And that I think is the biggest reason why most people don't want to have conversations because you're not even allowed to explore an issue or kind of say something that later you can say, actually, you know what, I'm rethinking what you said because in the moment I, you know, I said this, but actually now that I've thought about it more, I have a more refined opinion mm -hmm. and, and I understand why people are afraid because it's just so easy to be attacked and, and with social media, it's so easy for it to be spread to the world. You know, I'm sure you right. out have of context. More, out of context or even like maybe you said something, but it just like came out wrong and, and like, it wasn't what you right. meant. Like there's no benefit of the doubt. There's no humanity in this where it's like, we can assume that, the other person, there's some like good faith that we're trying to understand something better together or trying to understand each other's position better. And it might be like you said, like what you were actually saying, like the ugly, messy, scary, like it, that right. is part of it. I think that's part of communication. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would hope that, that, you know, by you having these types of conversations and, and discussing these topics. And I hope to more also, it can inspire more of that in people and know that like, you can, you can make mistakes. You can, you can think things through out loud. Sometimes that's what it takes. Um, and just understand that like, we're all human and being human is hard and it's, complicated and you don't always have all the answers and sometimes you don't know what you think until you're in a certain situation. Yeah. It's weird. Cause like, I mean, we're speaking extemporaneously and it's, that's actually incredibly difficult to have to do that and be precise in language. It's not, it's not, I don't think it's actually possible to do all the time and be absolutely precise. Right. Yeah. That's why, that's why word processors have a delete key and you can, change some stuff that's that's why you do that um so yeah i it, it is tough because 
there's this, I think this, I don't, I guess I don't want to psychologize about people, but I guess I will. Uh, I, there's this need to tear down other people for like, oh, you said this, I'm going to take it out of context or, or interpret it in the worst possible way. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not going to understand. I'm going to pretend that I don't understand that you're in the middle of a conversation with context, nuance, it's extemporaneous. You might've misspoken. Mm -hmm. You might've not been very clear. You might've not thought that through completely. What I'm going to do is take what you've said and I'm going to take it, interpret it in the worst possible way. And I'm mm -hmm. going to, and I'm going to demonstrate, I'm going to use it as proof that you're somehow an evil, horrible person who wants to eat babies or whatever it is. And it's like, mm -hmm. all right, well, mm -hmm. exactly. um, that's, I think that's driven by uh, fear of these conversations. I think it's driven by the fact that uh, having having a conversation that's messy like this is it can challenge things are said things can get said that like might challenge what someone's thinking and they don't want that challenge and they don't want they just want it to go away it's an uncomfortable subject they just want it to go away they want us to shut up so mm -hmm. this is this is how they'll get us to shut up and i don't think we've said mm -hmm. anything particularly controversial today but, no i don't i don't um, i don't think so either i think there's maybe a couple people who don't don't want to hear what i have to say but that's fine that's right that happens <laughs> We talked about it's, that at the it's beginning. Very meta. Like, oh, it's she's very, just a pilot, so Yeah, anyway. exactly. Exactly. No, it's funny. Yeah. Um, but, but there, I mean, taking it out of, sorry, did you have a direction? No, no, go, go. Um, well, I just think there are a lot of other examples of this, like, um, kind of tokenized emotional reaction people have to different things. You know, on the, on the right, it's like MAGA. You know, if you, right. if someone's MAGA, they're like, oh, like, I can't even, I don't even see them. If I'm more left-leaning, I don't even see mm -hmm. them as a person. And then, and then on the other side, it's like, oh, if they have colored hair and piercings and they have different pronouns, then they're like, ah, oh, evil. You know, like, there's just, there, there are a lot of things I feel like in our, in our culture right now that are just so um, triggering for people that there's no ability to critically evaluate or, or, um, connect with kind of the humanity of the other person and try to understand like what that is. And, and the result is that it just becomes more and more extreme and further and further, um, apart. And so I think kind of the, the process that we're talking about of understanding, like, what is it? is the most important thing we can do. Like, what is it about a MAGA person that is so offensive? What is it a about a person that uses certain pronouns and uh, has colored hair and piercings that is so offensive to a conservative's sensibility? And I know I'm, I'm just generalizing no, no, as I an just, example. No. I'm not saying that's true for anyone on either side, but I think understanding like what what is it threatening? Because at the end, to, to shut down like that, to need to objectify the person, it must be threatening something inside the person. And I, I think that's kind of what, what we need to think about. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think maybe that's just generally good advice for like 
if you don't want to be reacting emotionally um, and you want to be engaging your critical faculties, it, practicing being able to recognize when you are don't you can't you can't suppress your emotions. So that that's a futile right, and, and, and we all have things to try prejudicial so, right? biases too. Like that's right. The bias is not inherently bad. It's very human and natural. It's then what you do with that and like how you right. act on that or not. Right. So being able to say, oh, I'm have I'm feeling this reaction to this person and being able to say, okay, well, why? Yeah. Uh, and and break that down, I think is probably necessary in order to be able to then engage your rational mind instead of just your emotions. Um, there, do you, uh, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Do you know um, Ramdas? It's 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 related, not exactly the same, but do you know Ramdas? He's a, uh-uh. a spiritual leader in his own right. He was actually a Harvard professor and he became really quite known in the 60s for going to India and, and studying under a guru and coming back to the US. He did a lot of like um, experimenting with psychedelics and teaching, bringing Eastern teachings to America. Um, and I really, I find his teachings fascinating and he's very just like, because he comes from an ac- academic background and he's Jewish, but he studies all, he studied all religions. He's just very relatable and, and I find him really funny. Um, but he said that for a while he put a picture of Donald Trump. I hope I'm saying this correctly, but that he put a picture of Donald Trump on his altar to, because it was like the most kind of, uh, it triggered it. Right. And so like to, to be able to feel, you know, love and, and kindness towards this person who I guess in his view, like epitomized things that he didn't like was, was the goal. And, and I, I think that's cool. Like, I think, I think we should do that more is like challenge ourselves that way, as opposed to just continuing to, you know, stay in our echo chambers and, and affirm what we already think and believe at the expense of the humanity of people we don't like, or, or that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, you're reminding me that there's, I'm forming this thought as we, as we go, I haven't thought like, I think there's maybe, I think people are, a lot of people are conflating. So when I think about ethics or, or morals, I kind of put them in two different categories. I don't know if, I don't know if this is like an official thing that other people have done or I'm just weird, but, um, one category is like, ethics that relates to how that are social, like how you should treat other people, right? Like don't hit them and take their stuff. Or this is a pretty clear, like, okay, those are some things you should do. Like that's a rule. Mm-hmm. It's a good rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and those can you can, I think those you can, uh, I, I would say more forcefully argue for and like demand from society. Like this is the direction we should move. We shouldn't be doing these bad things to each other. Um, but then there's a different set. There's, there's an additional set of, of morals, which are often less clear, which relates just to, and I don't, I don't even know if morals is the right word, but I think probably it is that, that relates to what's the best way for you to optimize your life and live. Like 
is snorting cocaine every day self-destructive? Like, should it be, should you force someone else to not snort cocaine every day? No, but should you be snorting cocaine every day? Probably not, unless, I don't know if you have a day to live, maybe, sure. But, um, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. are, there are, mm-hmm. there are, there are sets of things that that matter to your well-being over the long term and i think that we're often conflating these things and so when someone looks at uh when someone you brought up the person with like colored hair and metal bits in their face or whatever right i think when someone looks at a person like that um there's two things that are conflated like at one on the one hand that person represents this sort of oppressive authoritarian culture of you, you must use my pronouns, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that, that re- like having a negative reaction to that, even though that person might not believe that at all, that's just like, right, there's a right. representative that's there the like, assumption. oh, they're making mm-hmm. me think of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you believe that whatever they're doing is also just bad for them, mm. um, like if you think that they're making poor choices, that's not something that you attack someone over. That's something that's something that you say, like if you were making poor choices, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be screaming about you on the Internet. I would be I'll call you up and be like, Nikki, I don't this is not I don't think this is a good idea. This is why I don't think it's a good idea. You know, I care about you. You shouldn't be doing this. This is let me try and show you why this is a bad choice. Right. Um, But we're kind of lumping those two things together. And when we see someone making choices that we think are not optimal for them maybe just not optimal for humans generally, we have this kind of like righteous anger as if they're hurting other people and doing something that's like bad for all of us. When in fact, mm-hmm. they're just not living their life in a way that you think is optimal. And you might be right. Maybe they aren't. Maybe right. they right. need help. But mm-hmm. that's not the same thing as them being uh, the aggressor that needs to be beaten down. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between, you know, there's rights and supposedly we live in a society where people have the right to live their lives however they want within the constraints of the law. Um, But people do get offended and triggered by differences that they see and, and become more of like the morality police as opposed to just you know, like you say, like from a caring place, I mean, it's a good thought experiment for people to think like if this was a relative, like how would you handle it? If it was your child, how would you handle it? Would you berate them? Would you excommunicate them? Or would you talk to them about their choices, why they're making them, maybe how they could make better choices? I'm not saying it's that simple. Um, you know, no, I had family point. members who have had addiction problems and it's, it's not as simple as just having a conversation, but, but I don't think anger and hate is ever the solution. And it is an interesting, it, it's something that I've experienced directly where it's kind of funny. Like if people do really think that I'm, I was in a cult and I was like a victim, right? They, they, then they're like additionally victimizing me. Like right, I'm being punished. They're abusing <laughs> right. me further. <laughs> yeah. For not realizing how I was abused. Right. Right. And it's, it's like, it's, it's like, they, 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 yeah, it, I love that. Cause it's, it's like they, 
they roll up to your house. They think that your husband is is beating you. So they pull you outside by the arm and smack you until you so, get it. Until you get it's it. Like, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, that wake up. Helpful. You know, no, yeah. it's it's really not. And it's violent and right. has all sorts of, um, you know, has a has a very presumptuous nature on on so many levels. But it, it I don't know, I guess it's it's again, it goes back to like, yeah, are they really do they really care about those things? those things or is it just about them feeling okay and i think that right them feeling comfortable like i just want everyone to fit into the box that i've had to fit in my whole life (laughs) so no one else should be able to go outside of it and enjoy their lives like i think that's kind of a thing as well um so yeah i do i do think that's something people become if they felt oppressed I guess this is, um, I believe this, this is like a theory in social psychology. I don't know exactly what it's called, but like, you know, if you followed a bunch of rules, um, then when you see people breaking them, like you become the authoritarian, like you may hate it that, that you are being oppressed in this way, but you can't stand seeing other people kind of like get away with things. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's like, they talk about how they do this. I think in prisons and in the military where they start like pitting people against each other to get control, like give someone a little bit of power and then they oppress the others. Um, yes. Well, there's this famous Stanford prison experiment uh, yeah. there as well. And and I think that trait is related to um, the kind of flip side of that, which is um, if you were – if you had an unhealthy lifestyle in some way, let's say drinking or smoking or whatever, and you quit that, the people around you that are continuing in that unhealthy lifestyle really hate that you quit it and and try and pull you back into it. And it's mm-hmm. that's the same kind of phenomenon. They don't like that you're you got out. They don't like that. Mm-hmm. It's like the crabs pulling each other down in mm-hmm. in the bucket, right? You're getting out, and they don't like that because it represents. Just like breaking the rules, it represents. Well, if they can break the rules, then mm-hmm. I could break the rules, and I'm then not. Then I could, or but if I'm they scared. Can stop doing to. this, right? I could stop doing this, but I'm not. And like, exactly. it's it, it's a it focuses the the light internally on a failure of theirs. Yeah. Um, and they they wouldn't feel that way, actually, if they didn't want that thing, right? So if someone was like, "Well, I quit eating steak." I would not be like, "You jerk!" Like, I don't want to quit eating steak. I don't right. feel bad about eating steak. I feel great about eating steak. So. I don't. I wouldn't feel the need to right. claw you back, right? But, uh, you know. But if it was something that that I actually felt guilty about that I was doing, then I'm more likely to want to to react in that way. So I guess we're now psychologizing all the people that are <laughs> that are criticizing. Well, no, but in, I think it applies to way, a lot. But, yeah. I mean, I've experienced mm-hmm. it. Like I've been vegan for. Um, uh, like 15 years. I, so I've experienced the, all the different reactions now it's way more common, but like the different reactions people have and like are, have been kind of like mean about it. And to the point where I don't, I don't normally tell people unless again, it's kind of like sex, unless we're having dinner, <laughs> you know, it's not right. relevant. I can't have the steak, so, Carter. <laughs> yeah, well, no, the steak. and you yeah. can, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> no, 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 but I mean like you could, right, you'd have to say. Right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, or about like losing weight or getting fitter. You know, sometimes people have really bad reactions to that because yep. it 
triggers there. And I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but I do think that's that's something that exists. And I think it's it's um in our culture again. And I don't I don't know how widespread this is because I do feel like I'm I'm definitely informed a lot by Twitter. And I know that that's not a significant representation of the entire population, but in terms of like the discourse that happens on Twitter and, and in general media, like the way that we can't seem to talk about what is potentially optimal, healthy, normal without shaming people who aren't that. Like I, right. I don't think that it's one or the other. Like, I don't, I don't think that talking about being healthy and that like being thinner is healthier. Like if you look at people in their eighties and nineties, they're, they're skinny for the most part. Like you just, you, there's a longevity factor to it. And it's not, it's not a judgment. It's just a reality. And it's good to promote acceptance but not to promote destructive or, or unhealthy things. And I, I know there can be unhealthy things psychologically and emotionally too. So it's, it's, again, it's like a whole can of worms and it's complex, but I feel like um, we're so quick to polarize and, and um, yeah, make conclusions about things that aren't saying that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think if you care about someone, part of your responsibility is to hold up a mirror for reality back to them so that they can see. Like, yeah, uh, the analogy I'll use is like, if I despise someone and they smile and they have some like lettuce in their teeth and they're about to go into a meeting, maybe I'll let them go. But if right. I care about them, I'll be like, yes, dude, hey, dude, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> take the lettuce out of your teeth, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's that same kind of thing. If you care about someone let's say you've it let's say it is uh, a health issue or whatever you reflect back to them gently and nicely but you reflect back to them like look this is the reality um Mm -hmm. and you just need to know the reality Uh, exactly yeah so yeah all right let's do a couple of super chats and then I should go because this has been super long. This is yeah, this conversation, by the way, many, did not go the direction I thought at all. I know. Oh, like, there are so many things that I thought about in in preparation that, yeah, we haven't too. talked about it at all. We just didn't do it. Another That's time. Right. But I have, I'm having this feeling of uh, everything being connected now because every, like, I feel like we have laid out several dozen loose ends for yes. things that are related to one another. And there's lots of different things we could pick on, but we'll never end if we do that. So um, <laughs> let hopefully me we'll be able to sleep chats. tonight, you know, <laughs> well, I, <laughs> trying you to might. close all those. You, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you're not anyway, <laughs> right, right. Uh, we just have a couple to do. Amoral Pancake, Pancake, I like Amoral Pancake, uh, mm-hmm. says, Sigmund Freud has a lot to say about the subconscious and repressed libido. Is there something to that? And does it explain asexuals? I don't know what he says about it, so I can't. I don't. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I just know the more like pop psychology version of of Freud in terms of, um, yeah, repressed sexual desires coming out in um, in your psyche. But I, I do, I do think. I don't know. I know it's not exactly a question, but I I do think that our issues around sex or like our 
the things that we repress come out in ways that we don't even realize, like just in terms of relationships and in terms of um, social trends. And I, I do think that that he's he Freud's definitely onto something there. I don't know if I agree with like his whole theory, but I do think it's more relevant to our social evolution than we care to realize. Um, but I don't have anything necessarily specific to say about that. And asexuals are are people with no sex. Is that like who don't have there, sex? Think, Is that yeah? I think they're people who are uninterested in in sex. And you know, in, interestingly enough, I think there's um, that is a problem in Japan right now. They're worried about the I heard about that. population. Right, um, since right. We, we talked about Japan earlier. Yeah, um, I do remember reading about that. Mm-hmm. Right, and and you actually said that young people are having less sex now. Maybe that trend will continue, and maybe it's related yeah. to some of the other stuff happening culturally. Um, I think it's that. I also think the all the, the consent conversation is is very. Um, there's a fear mongering aspect to it. Very not hot in any way. Yeah. 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 No. I. I mean. No. I mean. Seriously. Like. Yeah. I can't imagine being a high school kid and be like, "Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this?" Like, oh. Yeah. Um, sign here. Yeah. Woohoo! That's that was a super hot date. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I I am gonna just throw this out about the sexual drive and libido, uh, and I don't know how to apply this to. Uh, homosexuality at all. So sorry, I can't, I can only, but I do know that there is a lot of, there's been a lot of research into the, the masculine feminine dynamic. And specifically when people look at like, how do you keep your relationships alive? Or how do you like do that kind of thing? And one thing that happens is um, as people become more androgynous, the attractive level goes down between them Hmm. generally. So um, you generally have um, one of the things that keeps that uh, spark alive is difference. Difference as such is is attractive, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times like a married couple will get together and they won't spend any time apart from each other at all. And so they'll kind of merge into this one right. blob of an entity together and their, their attract, their uh, drive goes down because they're, they don't, it's hard to find yourself attractive, right? It's like you're right. kind of this one big entity. What if right? you're a narcissist? But then, no, I then maybe it that. works fine. Maybe it yeah. works. Uh, then maybe it's fine. Like, we are awesome. I'm uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, one of the corrective things that, that therapists will tell you to do is like separate in some way, like, oh, yeah. you take Saturday afternoons for yourself. You go take that pottery class or whatever you used to do right. before. Like, because you fell in love with as, with that person as a separate individual. Entity, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where that kind of dynamic comes from. So I don't know if that's related, but I imagine a world in which we're all being told um, that there is no, like gender is a social construct, um, masculinity is toxic. Uh, yeah. We're kind of just, as, as a culture, as we kind of become more androgynous, I can imagine the cultural libido subsiding. I'm just talking out my ass. You heard, you heard it here first, folks. Right there. You go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll no, fight that's you a naked, whole other conversation, says, oh, right? Oh, it someone is. will fight. It is. Who naked? Uh, no, you I'll naked? fight you naked. That's a uh, that's this person's username. He's oh, in chat. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I'll fight you naked. Says I think I just made a trogan horse 
It's my pinned tweet. Look carefully. I don't even know your Twitter, man. Maybe I do. Uh oh. I'm gonna. Sorry, I'm gonna do this during the thing. Oh yeah, I do. There's your Twitter. Your pin tweet. We're gonna look at the pin tweet. Uh, do I even get this? I hate when I just don't get it. I don't get it. Don't give away the joke. Behold the golden calf of religion. Who is that? What does it say? All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to show you this because I don't know. I can't. I can't. I need your help. Do you get this? Uh, the tweet. Don't give away the joke. Here, I'll, I'll full screen it. The calf of the woke religion. Is that George Floyd? Uh, yeah, I think that's the statue in um, Union Square. Well, don't, don't worry about giving away the joke. Well, I, I forget what it was. A, what it was. What we were talking about. I feel like because I know that was um, he wrote that a while ago. Yeah, it might have been related to. But what 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 does a golden calf refer to? I'm not I'm not familiar enough with the. Well, a golden calf in biblical terms, right? The golden yeah. calf is what the the Jews went and worshipped a golden calf instead of God oh, and okay. got themselves right, in trouble. Right, right. So right, right, it's. Right. Um, it's the representative of uh, false gods, right? Um, okay. Well, that I guess I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, I'll fight you naked. Well, that was a little bit sorry. of a dud, <laughs> but not intentionally. <laughs> but it's okay. We can still be friends. Like that's allowed. You're allowed to. No, actually, yeah. now you're kicked <laughs> no. off the channel. Right. And you're. Uh, we've proven you're a horrible person at this point. Uh, imaginary person writes ball. Yes. The, the false idol was, was ball, B-A-L, B-A-A-L. Um, all right. <laughs> I should, I should, it's been two hours. I usually yeah. only do like an hour and a little bit more. So we okay, just rocked well, it. Um, yeah, we did. It was, cool. uh, it was fun. I did not expect the conversation to go the way it did, but it was still fun. Um, yeah. How thank you so much you? for having me on. Um, so they can follow me on Twitter at Nikki Klein. It's spelled C-L-Y-N-E. It's actually Scottish or on my locals, NikkiKlein.locals.com um, or Instagram. I've been posting more on Instagram lately. So trying to up my followers there. Just your meals or yeah. anything good? on What's that? Just no, no meals. <laughs> um, uh, just like fun, fun stuff. I'm starting to do like a little, well, you know, I posted about, posted about this. It used to be just like, you know, kind of abstract photos, but I'm, posting more stories about my thoughts and on things and stuff and okay. my fun adventures. Like I, I went out on Halloween with uh, Colin Wright, uh, who we were just talking about. Oh, you about. went out with Colin like we, on Halloween? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we had some funny pictures from that. Wait, so. is he in yeah. New York? No, we actually both happened to be in Miami, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Colin's awesome. Yeah. I should have him back he's on so the show. so awesome. Yeah, you should. Uh, he's the one that explained to me. Uh, he explained some cool evolutionary stuff to me about how it's actually easier to evolve a change in behavior than it is to evolve a physical manifestation. So, um, which I thought oh, wow. was super cool. Uh, yeah, he's he's a good guy. So yeah, well, right, he'd well, be a good person to talk about kind of the, some of the stuff we were talking about and your and your theories too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just it's been like two years since I talked to him, so I should reach out again. Uh, all right, well. 
everyone, as a reminder, we always love, I always love suggestions, feedback, uh, topics. I know some of you wrote topics that you want me to address, but I haven't had time to do that, but I will. Also, a reminder, subscribing is mandatory. Special thanks to everyone who supports us financially. Go to unsafespace.com to do that. Nikki, thank you again. Uh, thank you I'm for sure having we'll, me. You'll be back. I'm sure you'll be yeah, back. Yeah, well, there's so many uh, open loops. So <laughs> There's lots of open loops. The open loops podcast, yeah. <laughs> All right, take care. Awesome. Have a great night. Get some sleep. Bye, everybody. <laughs> thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and scheduled for ideological vaccination. To avoid cancellation, please update your ideological contact tracing app on your smart device immediately. Here's a fun fact. Only vaccinated black lives matter. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't think about it, I mean, that's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.